Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Fatherhood. What is fatherhood? Who is he? What, what is the father's role? We have a lot of images of uh, what a father is today. The incompetent, bumbling idiot of the Simpsons, or the fix-it-all Tim Allen of Home Improvement. The father of the bride, or the surrogate father in About a Boy. Is the role of the father to manage the family, to be the authority figure, the heavyweight as disciplinarian as in wait until your father gets home, or the provider, the father's job is to keep the family off welfare and to keep a roof over their heads. He's the mysterious authority figure who brings home the bacon. Becoming a father does, not, does begin with having children. And whether we know it or not, when we decide to become a father, we decide to give up quiet evenings with good books, intimate meals during which you can finish whole sentences. We choose to give up privacy in the bathroom. As you know, children always come to the bathroom at the exact time you're in there as if you needed company. One person said the only way for this father to be certain of bathroom privacy is to shave at Starbucks. But when you decide to become a father, you've decided basically to, to turn sofas into trampolines, to abandon leisurely contemplating reproductions of great art for f the joys of frantically coping with reproductions of yourself. And you always have at least one child that's exactly like you. Someone has said that becoming a father is part of the natural instinct provided to further the human race, that it's evolutionary. But it cannot be evolutionary because human beings are the only creatures on earth that allow their children, once grown, to come back home. So what is fatherhood? What does it mean to be a good father? A good father. Today we're going to look at a passage in Acts in which in the original setting it describes a father children relationship in a spiritual sense. And the Apostle Paul was a spiritual father of a church in Ephesus in what is now known as Turkey. And this passage describes the nature of Paul's relationship between his children in the faith. Every human father is to be the leader, spiritual and otherwise, in the home. And I would like to apply these truths, Paul's role as father, our role as fathers, in relationship to the smallest unit of the church, the most important unit of the church, the family. Today, six gifts for fathers. Six gifts for fathers. I'd like you to turn with me to Acts 20. We're going backward a chapter from last Sunday. Acts 20, we're going to read 17 through 38. If you want to look at page 902 in the, in the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 902. Acts 20, starting with verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me 
If only I may finish the race and complete the task Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and needs of my companions. Everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul is never going to see these friends again. And this is really his farewell address to these friends who he had developed this father-child relationship with over the years. Now, intertwined with this farewell, Paul recounts the role he's played in their growth and development. And it's the same roles that God calls us to play as fathers of our children. Now, there's a lot in here. We can't unpack the whole chapter or the whole, all those verses. But I want to take a few things that, and relate it to our roles as fathers, parents. It can be grandparents. It can be uncles, aunts. It can be whatever role you have in helping people grow under your care. On Father's Day, we think in terms of receiving gifts, don't we? Father's Day gifts. Well, Paul says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So today we're going to talk about the gifts the fathers can give. Gifts fathers can give to their families and children. Six gifts for fathers. Number one, Roman numeral one, give service. Give service. Paul served God. How? By serving people. Paul's leadership was one of servanthood. He was always giving of himself. Like Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. I did not come to, to, to be served, but to serve. And I always ask fathers, who's the center of your household? Who's the center of your household? Dads, does everything revolve around you, your work, your recreation, your schedule, your time off, your priorities and your needs? Does everything revolve around us as a father? Or not. We tend to view our families as subordinate to dad, a hierarchy of importance. And even if we don't say it, sometimes we just kind of live that. So how should it be? Well, our example is Jesus and Jesus' relationship to the church. There's an interesting analogy. Jesus is called the head of the church. In other words, he's, he's the head. Now, when we look at that, his example is serving. How many of you all have a brain? How many of you are functioning with your brain today? Okay, everybody has a brain. Now, the interesting thing, the head of the, our body, the head of our body is the brain. 
And the brain functions for the benefit of all the other body parts. It doesn't function for the benefit of the brain. And that's the same way that Jesus functions for the benefit of the church. He gave sacrificially, selflessly. He gave of himself as a servant. Servanthood. Nothing for the benefit of self, but for, for the benefit of the family. Servanthood is giving service. Now, we have some qualifiers that we talk about with the, this gift that we do and we give um, as fathers. First of all, with humility. Humility is seeing things in a true perspective. God's a creator, I'm the creator. It's not demeaning, it's not proud, it's just accurate. An accurate view that the, the, of the, that the, the head of the family is the father, okay? The head of the family is the father. That's the way God set it up, that's the way, that's the, way the Bible talks about it. The father is the head of the family, but he's also a servant. And those are not mutually exclusive roles. We tend to think of, of servant and, and head as different, but it's not. It's serving. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 talks about this. This is talking about Jesus' role as, as the head. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus. The next verses describe that attitude. We earn the right to lead by serving those around us. Serving with humility. Now, I, I grew up in the kind of the traditional, traditional family, and, and when I do premarital counseling, we talk about, about something, something called uh, equalitarian roles. Uh, when you get married, what, do you, what, what does a dad do? What does a mom do? What is, you, know, you figure out uh, who, who's in charge of, of what tasks. And the traditional model is always one. There's always the non-traditional models. And different people have different ideas. Coming into marriage, who's supposed to do what? It's really important, of course, that both the husband and wife understand and agree on that. You may not agree on everything, but at least talk about it. That's the beginning. You know, we think about man's work. And, you know, and man's work is, well, I'm going to take care of repairing the cars. I'm going to put the kids' toys together. I will put the swing set together. How many of you have ever put a swing set together? Okay, you know, yeah, it would, they should, they never match up. You know, those things that you have, it never quite fits. But that was, that was the man's job, putting the swing set together. But there are also other, other things that were to do as we serve. Maybe it's cleaning or to, uh, doing the dishes, taking out the garbage. Actually, that was, that was kind of this thing in our, in our family, since in Judy's family, the man always took the garbage out. I just kind of inherited that, so I take the garbage. Maybe the kids do it, whatever, but that's okay to do that. Maybe doing the laundry or the child-rearing responsibilities. Changing diapers. One father said, I don't do seat covers. <laughs> well, maybe we need to do that. So serving, not to traditional roles, but how can I serve my family best? Give service with humility. And a lot of these jobs are humiliating. It is. It takes humility. Second, we give service with emotion. Paul says, with tears. Now, this is hard, especially for men, showing emotion. We don't like to show emotion. Okay? Most men say, what? What are emotions? I'm supposed to feel? Feel? I don't know. This is not getting in touch with our feminine side. Okay? This is getting in touch with our masculine side. Paul shed tears. Paul expressed emotions. He had emotions. Jesus expressed emotion. Jesus loved, he rejoiced, he laughed, he cried. It's okay to do that. Expressing our emotions as, as men, as fathers. 
our love and our affection, our joy and sorrow, passion, even, even excitement. The first time many of us men discover emotion is at our child's first soccer game or, or first swim meet or first baseball game, and all of a sudden there's this, this, this emotion fed by competition that, that rises up in us. I don't know if that happened to you. I, I had that happen to me. And I have one piece of advice that was given to me by my oldest daughter's veteran soccer coach. He said, cheer your kid on, stay positive, and never begin or end a sentence with the word ref. Okay. They said, cheer them on, don't, don't yell at the ref. They said, just don't, don't do that. Now, you know, we're, if you're a justice person like me, that's really hard because they missed that call and they shouldn't have called that and we should have gotten a goal, you know, whatever it is. So cheer them on, don't use the word ref. It's okay to serve with emotion. And I, I see at least one thing that happens when we're in those situations. I see passion in parents. So give service. Secondly, thirdly, letter C, give service in good and bad times. In good and bad times. In verse 19, it says, Paul was severely tested, experienced tough times, and he stayed with it. One of the great human tragedies is the number of fathers that abandon their families when they go through tough times. God calls us as fathers to celebrate in the good times and stick with it in the tough times. Some will stay in the marriage but withdraw emotionally or become distant or absent. And God calls us in good and bad times. Fathers miss something by not sharing in the everyday trials, tribulations, and the joys and the pleasures of the children and family home. Dads, we need to be there when our kid is, in the, is the sports star and when they are dealing with the humiliation of sitting on the bench. In fact, it's more important for us to be there in that two minutes of the game that they blew it and lost the game for the team than it is to be there for the 20 minutes when they were the hero. It's more important to share when they have struggles than when they experience success. Service in good times and in bad times. Experience their joy and experience their pain. Give service, whatever that means. Fourthly, give service selflessly, letter D said, Paul did not covet. Paul supplied his own needs and needs of his companion, giving service selflessly, not trying to get something and say, what's in it for me? The second gift for fathers after service is teaching, teaching. To teach, we have to model it, letter A. We have to model it by example. Paul taught by his example. He lived out his servanthood. Our first role as fathers and as parents is Teaching by example. Now, my daughters drive just like I do. They, that may be good or bad. I, I drive aggressively and assertively, and I, you know, um, actually Judy does too. She learned to drive in Seattle. And, and my daughters drive just like, and it's probably providential because God knew that they were going to live in Los Angeles someday. And they have to, you have to drive aggressively and assertively, or you get run off the road. You have to be aggressive. So they grew up driving like me, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but they, it just is. I, I knew I had to change my behavior, though, and we, a guy cut me off on the, on the freeway, and my four-year-old daughter said, you damn twit! <laughs> I said, I, I don't know if you do this. I, I talk to drivers. Now, I leave the windows up so nobody can hear me except me, okay? Do you, anybody else do that? 
Well, I'm so glad I'm not alone. So I'm going to apologize in advance if I've cut you off or done something, just, you know, something like that. But I do, t I get frustrated, so I just, I vent with the windows up and nobody knows except God <laughs> and, and my four-year-old daughter, of course. And so, so I had to modify my behavior in that. So, but we do teach by example. We model behavior, whether it's driving or table manners or the spirit we have or, or our priorities. Sandy and Harry Chapin wrote a song back in the 70s. It was entitled, Cats in the Cradle. Cats in the Cradle. It's, it's a song about modeling. And I want to share the lyrics with you this morning. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a job to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? When you coming home, son, I don't know when. We'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if, I, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and my kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son... I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. Our priorities will become their priorities. And it's modeled by example. One thing I'll never forget from my parents, something they modeled on a daily basis. Every morning when I got up out of bed, I observed my parents. They were in separate rooms in the house. And they were reading their Bible. They were having their personal devotions. Every day. And they, they encouraged us to have our personal devotions and read the Word, but they didn't just say it. They modeled it. Something I could count on. They just did it. They modeled it. I've had a lot of parents say to me, I just don't understand why my children, now grown, don't commit themselves to a church. And our children will develop our attitude, our love for the church, our support for leadership, our commitment level, our priorities, and our values. 
I, I remember as working as a youth pastor and as a teacher, I could tell you what the parents' attitude was towards authority in teaching or the, the leadership of the pastor or the church or whatever, just by their kids' attitude because they reflected what was modeled to them. It's a scary, it's a scary proposition, but it is true what we model. Teaching by modeling. Then there's private versus public. Our, our children are quick to pick up inconsistencies between who we are in public and who we are at home. And just as common are hanging on to traditions or, or personal tastes and whatever it is that we have. One of the things that Judy and I had the privilege three years ago of, of uh, serving through a new church specialty as, as a uh, transitional intern pastor at a church called First Wesleyan Church in Wichita, Kansas. We spent a year there helping them transition, helping them find their new pastor and getting them moving forward. I don't know if I'll ever do that again, but it was a great year uh, of doing that. There are many of the godly saints in that church. Some of them are in their 90s. They're elderly. They're still consistent in church, supportive of the leadership. And many had children and grandchildren in the city that had long since left the, that church for other churches in the city. And I asked numbers of them because there weren't many young people, young couples or families in the church. I said, where are your kids? And they told me. And I asked them, why did your kids leave? Why are they no longer part of this church? And their answer, we refused to change. We refused to change. We held on to our traditions. I talked to many in that church that Wichita is the home of Beechcraft, Cessna, and Spirit, or Boeing. And many of those people worked in the aeronautical field. And I asked them, as we talked about change, because we said change is hard. But I said, tell me about changes in your profession over the years. And they talked about remembering 30 years before when, when computers were first introduced into their, into their field. And then, you know, we're talking about materials, uh, materials research and avionics. And they talked about all the changes that happened over the years now, the connection of the Internet and over their span of time. Remarkable changes in their jobs. And then I asked them about changes in their church to a changing generation and culture. And they said, we didn't change. We've been doing the same thing for 40 years. Their words, not mine. Change. What I talked to them about was, okay, we're gonna make changes. We made a lot of changes that first year preparing for more changes. I said, we have to establish a culture of change because change is what happens in our culture. We're going to stay relevant. We must change. Now, fortunately, numbers of years ago, this church had the vision to start a contemporary service and, and to push the envelope. We miss drums today, by the way. Jesse's out of town. But, but you know, we have... That we have the, the, the contemporary music and pushing the envelope, but it includes change, and some people find it hard to change, difficult to change. But if, if we're going to reach this generation, these people, we must change. 
modeling it. Secondly, teach it. Teach it by, number one, giving information. Information. Our children are going to get information from somewhere, if not from us, TV, the Internet, radio, friends, schools, or teachers. Many of us will tell our kids Bible stories looking for teachable moments that apply to biblical truth. And most values will be passed to the next generation. You know how that happens most often? They've done research and they discovered that most values, and we're talking about moral values and political values and views, uh, values on history and spiritual values, they are passed along most often to the family over the dinner table at mealtime. The dinner time at mealtime. That was a huge priority for us in our family. We discovered most of our kids' friends didn't even have dinner together. They just came and went, whatever. It's a huge priority of saying, we're going to turn off the television, put the electronics away, and just talk and spend time together. When children get to a certain age, then you have sports and music and school activities. They compete for family relationships. And I remember having to fight for family time and trying to get that together so that we could spend that time together. Teach it. Secondly, exercising discipline, number two. That's a whole topic in and of itself. Hebrews 12, five to six says, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those who he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Teaching through discipline. Parenting and discipline, that's a whole other topic. Uh, I hope maybe I can teach someday on that, but, but it's, it's something that is a way that we teach is through discipline. Third, teach by, number three, testifying. Testifying. What do I mean? Testify means to bear witness, to bear witness. How many of our children hear, this is how God changed my life, or, or this is how I met Jesus, or this is what God is teaching me now? Our children desperately need to see and hear a living, vibrant, ongoing relationship with Jesus, no matter what your age is or what their age is. What is God teaching you today? What is God teaching you today? in the present that you can share with your children. Patience, <laughs> yeah. Endurance, faith in the unknowns. We face unknowns, do we share that with them? How to love our enemies, how to forgive people that have wronged you. How have you been praying and how has God answered your prayers? We heard this morning first service about, um, and I wish she would have been able to share this here this, this, this morning, but she, in first service, uh, Dory Gurrell, had a son that was in a severe car, car accident, was severely injured in a car years ago. And his pelvis was, it was, was injured and all kinds of things, and he recovered, but they weren't sure. They said, we don't know if he will ever be able to be a father, ever. Okay? They started praying. This was like 10, 12 years ago. They started praying for his healing and ongoing healing and that he would, he would be able to do that. They just found out this week, his wife, is pregnant. 
He's going to be a father on Father's Day. He got to share the answer to prayer. For years they've been praying for that. They didn't know. But share those answers to prayer. Share those needs. If you're struggling with something, sometimes we think our kids are too young to know. They need to be able to engage in the fact that we struggle with our faith and we have issues as well. How have you been praying and how has God answered your prayers? How has he answered your prayers? They need to know because sooner or later they will experience likely the same circumstances we experience. They need to know how we as parents are growing in our trust of God. It's not just saving faith, but it's daily faith. What's, how is that working today? Fourth, teach with balance, with balance. Um, Paul speaks of his role to proclaim the whole will of God, the whole counsel of God. Law, what's required of us, the gospel, what God has done for us, discipline and correction, uh, provision by God, finding a balance in the teaching. So give teaching. Number three, give protection, give protection. Here's an interesting part of the passage that Paul talks about. In verse 28, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in and, uh, among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. He says, be on your guard. Give protection. That's a, that's a huge, huge thing for parents, for dads. We can, be, we can, first of all, look at internal threats. Internal threats would be things that we have. Ego, pride, self-centeredness, or ambition for success, or jealousy. Things like priorities. How do, how do we establish priorities in our lives? How do we say, what's, what's our number one priority? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. God is first. First is a relationship with God. The second is a relationship with our spouse and children. Okay? Third, our job. If we have a job, dads, we have a job. We have to go to the job. We have to go to work. Okay? So we've got God, family, work, church. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Isn't church supposed to be number one? No, no, it's not. Relationship with God is first. Church is not that. Church, don't confuse your relationship with Jesus with church. Okay, church is your relationship with the body of Christ. But it's most important, your relationship with God, family. You got to work church. Then recreation and other interests. Okay, priorities. How do we establish priorities? That can, that can be a threat. Then there are external threats. Most of us think of external threats when we think about guarding our family. We think about protecting us by putting locks on doors and smoke detectors, car seats, seat belts, dangerous streets, kidnappers, child molesters. Just as critical are, however, spiritual threats. Spiritual threats. Spiritual attacks and temptation. Let me just say something, dads. You are the first line of defense spiritually. Spiritually. There are spiritual attacks that are going to come against you. And if, if, if you don't have a strong spiritual walk, discernment, right priorities in holy living, you will open yourselves up for attack. That's where we guard our family spiritually. And then discern where the enemy is attacking your family. Fathers have been established, and I know this is, you know, people say, say uh, I don't know if I believe in this, but fathers are established by God as the priest of the home, the head of the household, okay? That means that he is responsible for the spiritual growth. Wives, support that, pray for him, and make sure that that is allowed to happen. 
as he is the priest, the, the protector. The Holy Spirit has made dads the shepherd, the protector of the family. And the family is the smallest unit of the church, the most important unit of the church. And make no mistake, Satan is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He's out to destroy families and marriages. And men, we must be on guard and be spiritually discerning. The fourth gift that we give is encouragement. Encouragement. Build them up, letter A, build them up. There's so much negative today. There's sarcasm, tearing down negativism. In fact, um, all the humor you see pretty much on sitcoms and things, it's all negative. It's all teardown. It's just awful. And the problem is humor is truth exaggerated, and it can hurt, and it can tear down. Building our family up by the word of grace, being positive and gracious. My philosophy, well, let me just say what I grew up. I grew up, my, my, my mother was Norwegian. She was always afraid we'd get proud, and so she didn't want to tell us too many good things. She didn't want to compliment us too much because she didn't want to affirm us too much because she was afraid we'd get proud. Um, and, and you know what my philosophy is? It's not my job to keep my kids humble. It's my job to build them up. There's enough stuff out there and enough things that are going to tear them down and challenge them and challenge their self-esteem. There are all kinds of things. We must build our children up. Life has enough hard knocks. God can humble them if he needs to. My philosophy has been build them up. For every negative a child receives, they need at least five positives. And all of us probably need the same. Encouragement. And letter B, give them your heritage. Your heritage. Verse 32 speaks of inheritance. And that's not uh, money, but whatever God's given you. Your Christian heritage. Your faith in Jesus Christ. And give encouragement, letter C, by helping the weak. We must help the weak. Our children will not always be strong. Our children will not always be courageous. They're not always invincible. The only time they're invincible is when they're 18. Before then and after then, they're not invincible. At 18, they're invincible, okay? Not after that. Our children will receive blows and setbacks and experience adversity. They need dad's help. I always thought once our kids graduated from high school and college, they would just be, they wouldn't need me anymore. Let me tell you something. There are days that they need me more today than they ever have to pray for them, to counsel them, to, to listen to them, to engage in conversation. You're a parent forever. You're a dad forever. You got kids? It, it's a forever job, and it's amazing. Pray for your children daily. They need it. Number five, give yourself. Give yourself. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We tend to give money, toys, gifts, and possessions to our kids. Our children need us. It's something called time. Time. Studies have shown that children with involved fathers, those that are giving time, are more confident and less anxious in unfamiliar settings, more able to deal with frustration, better able to gain a sense of independence, more likely to become compassionate adults, more likely to have higher self-esteem, more likely to have a higher grade point averages, and more sociable. Time, giving of yourself. And finally, the final gift God calls us to give to our children is give Jesus. Give Jesus, the gospel of God's grace. There's an author named Phil Calloway who got a letter from a frightened soon-to-be dad. He wasn't a dad yet. He's going to be a dad. And he wanted advice for how to prepare for being father, for fatherhood. 
This is what he wrote, and I want to quote from this as we close this morning. He wrote, May 31, 1986 was a Saturday. My friends played softball that day. I paced a hospital hallway with my wife. At least I think it was my wife. Whereas Ramona had always been a rather sweet and soft-spoken, this woman was more like Attila the Hun in a hospital gown. Rub my back, she commanded. I pulled out the tennis ball. Don't touch me, she hollered. This continued for what seemed like 14 days until I found myself face to face with my firstborn son. Sure, he was a little wrinkly, but who could blame him? I held him close. I touched his tiny fingers and counted his toes, all 10 of them. I looked into his eyes. They were blue like mine. Then the most amazing thing happened. A revival, I suppose. As I looked into those blue eyes, it was as if I heard these words. Calloway, for the first 25 years of your life, you've been a hypocrite. You've been close to the church, but far from God. You are holding in your arms the one person you'll never be able to hide it from. If you think this little guy won't see it, you're naive. People ask me when I became a Christian, and I say, May 31, 1986. You see, that night, for the first time in my life, I bowed my head and said, Dear God, I'm sorry. Make me real. I want my precious little boy to hunger and thirst after righteousness. If he won't learn to from me, he has two strikes against him already. I meant every word. It's been slow going sometimes, he says, but I believe God heard that prayer. Five years later, this same little boy looked at me one night and said, Daddy, I want to be like you. And tears came to my eyes. I don't have all the child-rearing answers for you, but I do know this. If you want your child to love God, love God first. If you want your son to obey, be obedient to the still small voice of God. If you want to change your life for good, have children, lots of them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the role of fatherhood and that you model that, Paul modeled that. And I just pray, Lord, that as we do the, that impossible job of being a father, it's so challenging today, Lord, and there's so many things that are, that are raising themselves up against that. And I pray for your anointing and your power to enable us to be good fathers, knowing that fatherhood doesn't end when they leave the house or move away, that you, we're still fathers. And then there's grandfathers. Lord, I pray that as we move forward as a church, that you would make us loving, servant-filled, selfless fathers. And I pray that you would give us the wisdom of the ages. Nobody could foresee the challenges that we face in today's world. Nobody could foresee the challenges we face in each one of our families, but you did. You, nothing takes you by surprise. And I just pray, God, that you would, by your grace and by your strength, help us to be able to give these six gifts to our families. And we thank you in Jesus' name.